Well, good morning, New Life. It is so good to see all of you and have a house full of worshipers and be able to worship together with you this way. My name is Helen Kim Nowak. I'm pastor of Community Life here. And if you're new or been coming recently, would love to meet you in the lobby along with the rest of our pastoral team who will also be there. Um, before I dive into the message, we do have an announcement. We will be starting our third all-church group study of the Bible for Advent. And we'll be looking at stories of God's surprising presence in the Christmas story. How does God show up in unexpected ways? And so before we open this up for registration for you to join a group, we are looking, as we did before, for 40 plus leaders who are interested in holding a space. So if you have a heart to just for four weeks um, provide a virtual or in-person place for a community to come together around this word, um, a guide will be provided for you along with training. So whether that's you or you're ready to lead a group, and you wanna join with your group, you can use that QR code or go to our events page to register. And to, right now, today, we're continuing our Revelation series, and we've been in a series through the seven letters that Jesus writes in this book. No light topic. <laughs> and Pastor Rich has been framing this time to just show us that this is not just any literature, but it's literature that is prophetic, is apocalyptic, and is resistant. It's prophetic in that it's talking about and revealing what's in the future and who it is that holds that future. It's apocalyptic in that it reveals cosmic mysteries of things beyond what we can actually see. It kind of is a good story that illustrates that is in the Old Testament. Elisha and his servant were in a city, Dothan, and they were surrounded by enemy armies. And there were horses and chariots, thousands upon thousands, and they're just two people. And the servant goes to Elisha and says, what are we going to do? Look at all the armies around us. And Elisha says, don't worry. And he prays and he says, God, open his eyes so that he can see. And suddenly the servant looks around and he sees the armies and thousands and thousands upon armies of angels surrounding him. And he sees that the real reality is he is not alone. And the armies of God are much greater than what he sees physically outside. And so apocalyptic literature points us to what is God's perspective in the world? We see what we see and we shrivel, but when we see what God sees, it gives us hope. And resistant literature in that we are called to be his people, and that means living in a very different kind of way where it often requires us to resist the ways of the world, being pulled in and sucked into materialism, consumerism, individual, you know, focus on the individual, but to be really about Jesus. And so in this letter, as we continue it, we're going to be looking at the fifth letter today, but we've been in four letters to four different churches so far. And in each one, we've noticed that Jesus keeps saying, I know, I know, I know. In every single letter, Jesus says, I know, which means like he's attentive to the state of his church, wherever it is. And in these four letters that we've seen so far, he says, I know, and he points out something he's noticed and he knows about them. And it's all been really encouraging. So to take a quick look at these four, Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Pergamum, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. But today, we get to a heavy letter that starts with I know, 
but it does not follow with a commendation. It is one of two letters in the seven where Jesus has a really hard word. And so let's take a look at this passage. We're looking at Revelations 3, 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They they will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you, and we're just so grateful to be able to come together in this way, um, to encounter you together, to worship you, to acknowledge that you are the one who is above all. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and protect this time now that you would protect our hearts, our minds, so that we would be able to receive from you and hear from you and obey what you have given us today. As we come to your word, would you speak to each of us where we are? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is a hard word. It's I know, but it's not followed by a commendation. And this Sardis was a famous city. It was much like New York City. New York City is not just known in the United States. If you travel anywhere in the globe and you say, where are you from? You say, New York City. They go, ooh. You know, there's a little bit of an impressed feeling because it's a known city globally. And like that, Sardis was one of the most famous cities. So it was a popular city, very well known. And this church, as it says, had a reputation for being alive. When you Googled for churches, it was one of the first ones that popped up. And there was a lot of activity. You know, the website looked great. It was full of events that were happening that were exciting. It had a reputation for being alive. And yet, Jesus says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Those are sobering words, shocking words. This church was actually self-deceived. They thought they were one thing, They were really sure they were because they had a reputation. People were talking about them in a one way. But in reality, their actual existence was something quite different. They thought they were alive, but they were actually dead. And so self-deception, this is a chart that just kind of shows us this, but it is where we see our reputation or our own self-perception one way, but our reality is somewhere else. So for instance, have you ever encountered an athlete who talks a big talk? You know, so they're ready to play a game against you, and they're just talking trash. They're like, you know, and just how well they're going to do. And then when they actually play you, terrible, terrible game. (laughs) No game at all, right? There's a gap between how they perceive themselves and talk about themselves and who they really are. Or an accountant who goes by reputation, and people are saying, oh, yeah, they're really good, and then you hire them, but they actually make a mess of your books. And you don't find out 
till the next accountant comes along. Gap between reputation and reality. Or that singer who just lifts up the heavenly voice they believe they have loud for all to hear, and everyone around them is like, ooh, tone it down a little, a little bit, just a little bit, right? A gap. And we can easily be self-deceived because it's not something we know. We believe, like the church and Sardis did, that we are one thing, but in actuality, something quite different. In my own walk with God, there have been times where I had just amazing encounters with Jesus. In prayer, weeping in his presence, just sensing his presence with me. Powerful things that I've witnessed, you know, in traveling and serving God in different places overseas. And then there are times where I will see, because I'm a, my job is a pastor, right? I'm doing Christian things meeting people, I'm reading the word, I'm praying, I'm going through all these things, and I realize every now and then that I'm self-deceived. I am going through the motions, but my heart is not in it. I have a reputation of being a pastor, a great Christian who's alive, but in reality, my love is gone cold, and I have to pull back in those times and go, Jesus, I want to love you again. I need to stop the activity and just be so that I can be in the right place and who I am and how I appear to be is in reality who I am. And there can be a gap. And sometimes self-deception happens because we have these glory days. And as Christians, we can have these moments of history with God. And we live on that, the reputation of that, the history of that. But we need a fresh story. God is up to something today. And is our faith alive today? Do we have stories that are from today, from this past week? Or are the stories we share of God six years ago, when you were a kid, long, long time ago? Self-deception is a scary thing because we don't know and we are not aware. How do we know that we are right now not self-deceived? Sardis would have, this church in Sardis would have expected because they believed there was a lot of activity, a lot of people saying wonderful things. When they heard that they got a letter from Jesus, they would have been excited. They're like, yes, it's going to be a glowing letter. Let's hear these words. And then as the letter got open, something quite different. You have a reputation for being alive, but in actuality, you are dead. Do we think that we are alive? Do we think we're going to, what kind of letter are we going to get? Do you think you are alive? Are you alive today? It was a shock to receive this letter. And like a defibrillator that, you know, when a person is unconscious and they're no longer breathing, they shock that person, hoping to revive breath of life in them. Jesus gives these words because he loves them. Isn't that good? When he sees our state, when he sees the state of the church in Sardis, he doesn't leave them alone. He comes after them. He's not content for them to just slumber off, fall into death, and go, oh, well. But he says, I'm giving you this hard word because you need to know where you stand because I don't want you to die. And so Jesus says, wake up. Have you ever had someone do that to you before? <laughs> when I was a kid, I hated getting up. You know, and especially in the cool days like this, as winter came, I would be rolled in that blanket. And my mother would have to call me like 20 times. And be like, five more minutes, five more minutes, please. And then eventually, in the winter, she would fling open the window near where I slept, 
yank the blanket, there was no mercy here, and I would tumble to the floor, and then I was like, breathing the cold air on the floor, I was like, okay, I'm not going back to sleep. <laughs> like, I have to get up now. Wake up, Jesus says to the church. It is that shock of being alert, active. The church in Sardis didn't realize they've fallen asleep. Much like on the subway when you're tired and you're like nodding off and you don't even know, right? Like you're banging the person next to you and you have no idea because you're asleep, right? And so Jesus has to say, wake up and give this hard word so that he, they know where they really are, that they've fallen asleep. They're far from where they're supposed to be and where they think they are. And so he has to say, wake up. And so what does it mean to be awake? It is easy to look like we're awake coming to church. I mean, hopefully your eyes are open and you are technically awake. But as a church, are we awake just because we come on Sunday? It's easy to just come, get our religious goodies and leave, but that does not mean that we are a church awake. We can easily be dead. And so he gives us this hard word and reminds us that it is easy to live off reputation or history from the past than reality. But he doesn't just give us a hard word and say, wake up. He also gives the church instructions. How good is our God? Right? He says in these words, after wake up, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. They are to strengthen what remains and is about to die by remembering what they first received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. The church exists for the gospel. And this church had forgotten why they exist. They existed for the programs. They existed to come in this routine of worshiping and feeling good with the songs. But Jesus is calling them to remember why you exist. Our church exists today. New Life Fellowship exists today for the gospel. To live it, to come to know it, and to share it with others. We are not here to just fill a room. Amen? <laughs> We're not here because, you know, the worship is so good, although it is really good. <laughs> We are here because God has called us to a gospel, and this gospel is why the church exists in the first place. The good news that the world is shattered and broken by sin, but God was not going to leave that alone. And he came after us in love, relentless love, costly love, to give us his only son, Jesus, to make a way so that we could be with him. And that is the good news, why we exist, why we worship, to be reminded of that, why we learn more about God so that we can live into that and share that with others. And so we live for this word, the gospel, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer explains it so concisely and so beautifully that the church is really Christ existing as community. The gospel is not just some abstract idea. It is a gospel, a lived idea with legs, hands and feet, a heart, a brain, eyes, ears. We are meant to live this, and the church is meant to exist like Christ. We are Christ in community. And so, and we look at our church, are we truly a community? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that, and then John Webster paints this great picture, that the church becomes the holy body it is meant to be by standing beneath the word of the gospel as both promise and command. We are both things, we are meant to become a holy body. We're not just here to just come and go. But we're supposed to be on a way to something. Christ died to not just give us Sunday services to attend, but to become a holy body set apart for him. And that means to hold the gospel, the reason we exist, both as a promise and command. What does that mean? 
To hold it as a promise is to remember that God has said, you are my people. When God looks at you, he says, you are mine. You are my child, as we sang earlier. And that is true, and that's a promise of the gospel. But if we only hold that good news, it's like a soft diet. It's not the full picture. And we are sadly deceived if we think that's all Christianity is about. To be his people, which is a beautiful word, means also then that we are called to command. Being his people means living in a particular way in this time, which scripture shows us how to live, which is so countercultural to not, you know, how we live with our finances, how we live with people, how we live in the very neighborhoods and the places we pursue is so different because we live by the gospel, not by every other value that's out there. And so the gospel is both promise and command. And so how do we know today if we're dead or alive? Who wants to know? Anyone want to know? Is your heart beating? <laughs> but it's more than that. <laughs> well, we have at New Life a beautiful pathway, and this is our way that we look at our vision and mission at New Life is to be a multiracial community, deeply transforming lives through Jesus for the sake of the world. And so to do that, how do we know we're actually doing that? How do we know that we're really living Christ as community? We have three buckets that we have crafted here, community, formation, and mission, as a way to kind of check, are we living this gospel? Not just thinking about it, singing about it, talking about it, but living it. And the first way we can calibrate whether are we dead or alive is to look at community. In community, we have been coming out of a pandemic where most of our life was virtual. And we cannot be the church virtually. I mean, we can, technically, but to be a church means to be in community, life on life, seeing people up close, seeing the tears on someone's face, holding someone's hand when they are struggling. It is coming alongside and being very involved. And we deceived ourselves, that gap between perception and reality, if we think we're being the church and we don't know other people in this room. So I want to ask you, who do you know in this room? Who do you know? What do you know of their story? What do you know of their challenges? What do you know of their heartache that they went through this past week? We have new lifers, and it always breaks my heart, who are struggling as single parents, who have discovered they have a serious illness and are struggling through it on their own, um, who have lost a job, and they have mentioned time and again, no one from New Life knows. No one from New Life called me. I have a couple of other people that have checked on me. And we are sadly deceived if we think we're a live church, if we don't know others in this room. So I want to challenge you. Are you alive as you look at community? A healthy marriage cannot exist virtually, amen? There's no way, you know, imagine being married to someone and you go, see ya, and then you're, for the rest of your lives, online. <laughs> hey, let's have breakfast together. Okay, click. Zoom call as you're each eating in separate spaces. How sad would that be? And the church and the relationship with Christ is supposed to be the most intimate of all. A marriage is a picture of that, but it's not even as good as that. And so we are called to be an intimately connected body of Christ. So how are you engaged? How is God calling you to be engaged? Formation. 
The gospel points to a life of confession, as we did earlier, of daily confession, not just a once in a while thing, but a daily examining how we're living our lives. Are we living by the gospel? And then turning towards it, repentance. So are we doing that? Today, I wanna ask you, as you look back on the past year, are you more gentle than you were a year ago? Are you more patient? Are you more hungry and passionate about Jesus? Is he becoming more and more beautiful to you, where he's just consuming you? Is your relationships, are your finances being treated with holiness and offered up more, more and more freely? We are called to a life of formation, and it's easy to think that Sunday attendance is enough, but we're not here to just get a handout, but to become a church become a people of God. And so in my life, something I struggle with and I'm trying to really grow in, and feel free to confront me anytime, <laughs> is to say I'm sorry. I am terrible at apologizing, so I actually work in life really hard to do everything really well so that I'd never have to say I'm sorry. <laughs> so unfortunately, apparently, I don't do this very well, as Nick, my husband, will tell me. And so sometimes he confronts me on things and asks for an apology, and I'm like, but I meant this by doing that, and right? And there's this gap between my intention and impact. And there's this distance between what I, I meant well, I really wanted to love him, and that's why I said or did these things, but my impact was that it was hurtful, it actually made him feel more alone, it made him feel ashamed, it didn't have impact. And where I need to own up is my impact. How did it actually land? And in our pursuit of Christ, it's not just in relationships overall, but in anything we do, we, there can be a gap between our intention and our impact. And we may measure our awakeness based on our intention and say, yeah, but Lord, I really would love to read your word. I really wanna love people. Um, I intend to be generous. And then the impact could be something very different. Are people's lives really comforted by your presence? Is your generosity actually happening? Is the apology really happening? Are we really loving each other in emotionally healthy ways as we value here at this church? We are called as a church, as we grow in formation, to close that gap between intention and impact. And just intention alone is not enough. We're really mistaken if we think we're an awake church, if we just intend. We're totally missing out if we miss the impact. Third, mission. Jesus' command for us as his followers, when we say yes to Jesus, it means a life of mission with him, which he says, go and make disciples, followers of me, of all nations, right, of those around us. And when we come for ourselves, and we, we're self-deceived if we think church is for us, for me, we are here to form one another and to share this beautiful good news that we have. And so when we think of this pathway, you know, I think about um, a cruise ship. You know, on a cruise ship, 20% serve the 80%. That's a lovely experience to be on a cruise ship, right? Like, you know, everywhere you go, if something is laid up, buffet is there 24-7, one of my favorite things. <laughs> Anytime you want a snack, you can go and have one. 
or you go to some space and there's a program happening, there's something else happening, there's a swimming pool, there's ice skating rink, there's all kinds of crazy, wonderful things to enjoy on a cruise ship, and 80% of the people are walking around going, hmm, what do I want to enjoy today? Uh, I don't think I'll go to this one, but I'll go to this one. And they're picking and choosing, and it's all about what you want, while the 20% are working hard. And of course, that's how it should be. It's a cruise ship. These 80% paid to be able to enjoy this. But when you join the church and when you say yes to Jesus, it's no longer a cruise ship. We are not here to cruise along. There's a mission at hand that Jesus has died to give his life for to make happen in our lives. And so he calls us to join us in this mission. And I have a word of just pastoral rebuke for our church. It has been heartbreaking for our team to hear that over the past year and longer, our next-gen ministry, the little ones pre-K, elementary, middle school, high school, our student ministries, are struggling to find volunteers. God has gifted us precious parents and precious kids to come around. These are our kids. This is not them and us. These are our kids, our parents, God has called us to be a body, to come around each other and love and serve each other. And our team in the next gen, our staff, is like piecemealing because there's sometimes hardly any volunteers or they call out. And so every week is an adventure of trying to make it work to serve the few who can come. And we are not yet ready to go into two services of kids ministry. We are only doing the one because we just don't have enough help. And that is a call to us. It's not always about what you're so good at. It is sometimes about stepping in because there's a gap, because this is not a cruise ship. And we are not okay with our kids' ministry just faltering along. And when these kids are living a life out there, growing up in such a crazy world, I'm so glad I'm not a kid today, like growing up in this day and age. But man, they have challenges. And who are the Christian adults that are going to rally around them and say, hey, I'm showing up for you every single Sunday. I will be there for you, though I would love to sleep in, Though this will stretch me, though I lose a bit of a weekend, I'm there for you because I'm here to be your brother and sister, your uncle, your aunt, and come around them. It is not okay that our kids' ministry is like this. Amen? And I'm serious. We really have this gap. And it's not just, I hope this is not just going to be a prick like, ooh, and then let time go by and go, yeah, I would have liked to do something, but you know, I don't feel that prick anymore so <laughs> let me keep on going we know how it is right but I'm telling you today and I'm could you just put Matt's picture on the screen if you can so this is our wonderful pastor of next gen and he is going to be in the lobby along with his team his wonderful team this is his wife Natalie um, because we have this gap and I, I really challenge you today if you are saying that this is your community and you are not serving this community to consider the next gen and there's so many different roles in this space. And the beautiful thing is when we show up, not just the shift work, but to commit weekly. Because kids today, you know, they're children. When every week is a new adult, think how like frazzly. Imagine if in school, every week you went to school and there was a different teacher, like in your elementary school classroom. It'd be so disorienting. And so there is an ask for a weekly commitment. And I know that's a lot in our generation and day and age. But when we show up weekly like that, it can be so formational for our lives. 
to actually know who Jesus is and how he loves. I have spent many years as a kids ministry leader, and man, there were Sundays where I was like, you know how I love to sleep, right? (laughs) There were definitely Sundays where I was like, come on, I've been going the last three weeks. Surely they won't mind if I miss this one, you know? But man, I would get myself out of bed. It has taught me discipline. It has taught me how to, what it means to love in a self-sacrificial way. And it has really formed in me an understanding of, wow, when God is consistent and persistent with us, it is so costly. And it shows me so much more of who God is and has been so transformative for my life. And so when we volunteer in those ways, it's not just, oh, it's for that kid over there. God has something in it for us. And if we want to learn to be a church on mission, it will start here. It needs to start here. We, there are plenty of needs out there, and there's a world waiting to hear the good news of Jesus. But what are we going to bring them to? Are we a church awake, or are we dead? Community, formation, mission. All three are important parts of ways to evaluate are we dead or alive in living this gospel? But it doesn't end there. Jesus does have words of hope. And how good is that? He gives us this sharp word to wake us up because we need it. Sometimes we really need that spark, that bit of a kick, right, to know where we are. But he tells us this good news, that there are a few people who haven't soiled their clothes and they will walk with Jesus. He knows that you have been faithful. He knows those of you who have just been wrestling through and you will walk with Jesus. But it's not just these few. He says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And so remember, Jesus is the one who holds the seven spirits, the spirit who gives life to the dead. Jesus is the one who can speak words that give life to our dying souls. And so when we pursue him, say, help, I want to try this, he will breathe us life, and we too can walk victorious with Jesus one day when he returns. And that is good news, that this is not just a hard word saying, tough luck, but warning, big warning. This is serious. This is not just a word to just sit through and move on. Take it to heart, because one day Jesus is coming back, and we will, if we don't respond, we miss an opportunity to be his church. We miss an opportunity to know his love and to live in that love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, talks about the costly grace of the gospel. And he says in this third paragraph, he talks about cheap grace being that which doesn't require anything of us. It's the whole promise of the gospel only. But when we have promise and command together, it's this third paragraph that says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man and woman his, her life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It it is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God, is the lived presence of God. 
and he calls us to be his. Church is Christ existing as community. It is a costly existence. We may wish it could be comfortable and easy, but we are following the one who gave up his life. And he calls us to come and follow so that we would have life. In the giving, in the sacrifice, comes actual life. How crazy is that? It's, when we are comfortable, we actually are not experiencing the awakening the way he intends. Today, there's a lot of words. The word woke is thrown around a lot, for better or worse, right? You might say someone's woke because they agree with your perspective, or sometimes you use it negatively. But true wakefulness is knowing the gospel and knowing that we have a living God who exists and is on the move, is on a mission, and he calls us to a costly grace. Let's pray. Just want to invite you to take a moment. What is God pointing out to you today? As you look at community, formation, mission. Where is God calling you to strengthen what remains and is about to die? Who is God calling you to? Let's not take this time lightly. A Lord is after your life. He desires you to have a full life, real life. And would you invite him, if you need help, to discern where? Would you invite him to come and give you the strength that you need or what you feel he is calling you to. And would you surrender that part of your life to him? <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us so much that you don't just give us compliments and just good feeling words, but you are so attentive to how we actually are. And Jesus, you speak a hard word sometimes because we need to hear it because we are in danger of falling asleep. Holy Spirit, would you wake up our church, each one of us, that we would live a life awake, knowing that we are not here for this world only, or for to settle for material things or consumerism or for whatever we want ourselves. But we are here to live with you and to live for you. Revive us, Lord. Whatever is dead in us, would you awaken and give us life that we may be your city on a hill. We may be your light in this world. We give you thanks that you are the one who speaks life to the dead, and that we come to you now in full trust that as we seek you, you will revive us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song in response.
First, let's give Pastor Helen a hand for that beautiful message. And yes, it's a tough word. It is a tough word. But let me ask you this. How many of you, if you are walking with a child and they come to a corner and they proceed to walk off of that curb into traffic, are you not going to correct that child to prevent them from living or die, from possibly dying and not living? Are you going to not correct that child? Are you just going to say, oh, no, highly unlikely. You're going to do whatever you have to do to make sure that child never risks death again because you love the child. And your love for them is greater than your concern as to about whether they're going to feel a little bit stung by your words. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? If we say that our God is one who loves us, if we worship this God and we are, we are safe with this God and we, we extol all of his characteristics on a daily, weekly basis, we recognize he loves us. It is him and his love for us that propels and compels him to correct us. And at the point where we as individuals or as a church are no longer able to hold rebuke, we need serious work. We should welcome the correction of God. It should feel like a breath of fresh air. Thank God he's correcting me because he's keeping me alive. He wants to see me live. He wants to see me thrive. He loves me too much to let me die. Right? So hard words are words we need. This is not a country club. We're not a group of nice people that hang out together, like Pastor Helen said, you know, and we just enjoy each other's company. This is not a football game. This is not a basketball game. This is not the World Series. The church is Christ existing as community. The lived presence of Jesus Christ that people can encounter and be transformed. It is nothing like those other things. And so for me and for you, where is Sardis? Where is it in my life? Where is it in your life? Where is it in our corporate life together? Where is Sardis? And how do we say, Lord, have mercy on me and show me the way forward? I'm going to ask my prayer, the prayer team to come to my right over here. And this may be a step for you. Perhaps someone can pray with you and help you to identify, okay, where do I need to shake this thing? Where do I need to wake up? I know we've been in this slumber for like three years, right? We're all, you know, we're awake. We're half awake. We're, we're, we're trying to function, but part of the mind is still kind of like a little asleep, well, this is the clarion call. We have to wake up. 
We have to wake up. Not you, not him, not her, all of us and myself, we need to wake up so that we can heed the call and live the destiny that our God has for us. Amen? So come for prayer if that would help you to walk along in this journey. If there's something else that you feel that you could that could help you to find your way forward, then please speak to us when you go through the lobby and let us see how we can help you. You know, as adults, it's always easy for us to look at children, particularly teenagers, and we can find every single fault. Every single fault. Those kids, oh my gosh, when I was a kid, and that, well, you know what? Let's help them do better. Let's help them do better. If we know better, let's help them do better. Amen? So if you do not know this Jesus that I'm talking about or that Pastor Helen's talked about, we want to invite you to text yes to Jesus. The text number is 718-424-0122. If you text that number, one of our pastoral staff will reach out to you within the next 24 to 48 hours and help you to understand who this God is. What is this relationship we're talking about? What, what does it even mean for my life? Just take a chance. Maybe that's your action step. Maybe that's your way of waking yourself up, shaking yourself, leaving deception and actually coming into reality. For some of you, that's your next step. And for others, I'm going to ask each and every one of us to really take this word to heart and ask God, what is it you would have me do? Simple, not complex. Lord, what is it you would have me do? And then let's do that which he'd have us to do. So um, if you're online, we have our sermon discussion after service. Um, you can stay. Or the link is on uh, the platform that you're on, and you can get together with other folks there, and you can hear and discuss what this sermon has meant to you and perhaps what your next step would be. And for the rest of you, I'm just going to ask you to open your hands out as I pronounce a blessing over us again. If there's any part of you that would hear this message or hear what I'm saying and hear it as condemning, hear it as some sort of uh, some sort of indictment of you as a human being, that is not the voice of God. That is not the voice of God. This is a word for all of us as individuals and as a church. Again, God loves us. You don't correct those that you don't care about. You just let them die. He's not willing to do that with any one of us. He loves us too much for that. So brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may God bless you. May you see his face shine upon you. May you look up into his eyes and see his love and see his concern and see his destiny for your life. May you know that you are loved and always loved, that nothing you can do will cause him to love you any more or any less. Bless each and every one here, Lord. Help them to hear your voice as you speak to them individually and as you speak to us as a church. Give us the courage 
Give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see what you say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all and have a great week.